0: This is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Derek Dyson and Willem van Denderen.
1: Oh, what a goal! The Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And
0: Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic!
2: Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Willem van Denderen, Michael Edgeley, and Derek Dyson for a podcast spun off from our main show where we travel far and wide across the football world to cover our highlights of the week top of the agenda as always is our game of the week. Derek, we've spoken about a uh, a box to box Ashes special at some point down the line later this year. You can't select England versus New Zealand from Wellington as your game of the week, but you do have the new ball. Your game of the week, please.
1: Thanks, and look, we we spoke about this in the main show, but it, for me, it was the Arsenal ladies, not the not the Arsenal men, uh, uh, winning that League Cup final or the Continental League Cup final, as it's now called to uh, win their first trophy uh, for four years. Um, And obviously, Sankar had given uh, Chelsea the lead with a typical kind of strike from her. But this game at Sellers Park really turned on uh, a great goal from uh, Stina back Stennis. Um, And then Kim Little from the penalty spot making it 2-1. It was a great, great win. Arsenal definitely deserved it. The atmosphere... Was was excellent at Selhurst Park. I do wonder why it was at Selhurst Park. I mean, two London teams, obviously from a logistical point, makes sense. But you would have thought that the bit one of the biggest games in the women's calendar, with all the momentum behind the game, that they, they you know, no disrespect to the Selhurst car' it's a bit of an old, old ground now and not a modern stadium. So maybe that's something they'll look at to the future but maybe edge I'll, I'll bring you in on this not just as a fellow arsenal fan but how pleasing is it you know we, we kind of um talk about how you know with the exception of harry Souter in the in the premier league australian men not making the mark they once did in the english premier league but how how significant is it that you had three ladies on the pitch there, all contributing significantly and key players to their prospective teams
0: well, it just brings back memories of the golden era of the Socceroos when we had Kiel, Veruca, Emerton, Cahill, you know, uh, Lazaridis, all, all sorts of them in the uh, in the Premier League and you used to turn on the TV and be able to watch uh, the Socceroos. So uh, it is that uh, significant that uh, the Matildas have so many players playing. But um, I was sort of drawn to that result because the Arsenal women have had a lot of problems with the Chelsea women of recent times. So that is a big win, a really big win win and, and a piece of silverware. Chelsea are we smarting? And to Steph and Caitlin, who are really important players for that uh, team. And Caitlin's had to probably do more than uh, what um, Arsenal women's football fans expect at the start of the year with the um, with the Dutch player, the Dutch striker going down. So, well done to them. Congratulations. Uh, they should enjoy it for a moment. Um, in terms of the Sellhouse Park issue, yeah, I'm with you, Derek. Uh, I think that's a showcase event that needed uh, probably a more... Um, significant stadium to recognise uh, just, you know, the growth of women's uh, football in the UK, even though it was the League Cup. And we know the League Cup not as good as the FA Cup, which is not as good as the
2: as the League itself, but it's still something to win. It caught me by surprise that it had been so long for Arsenal without a trophy, Derek. Well, we sort of think of Arsenal and Chelsea as neck and neck uh, in the women's game. But Steph and uh, Caitlin got to... Arsenal around the same time that, that Sam got to Chelsea and uh, for a bit of perspective, had Chelsea have won uh, the League Cup, that would have been Kerr's ninth title. Uh, Michael, how do you reckon the, uh, the household was uh, on what would have been Sunday evening for, for Steph, a, a winner, her first title with Arsenal, but poor old Dean Bazanis, her her partner, in goal for Reading, 5-0 to Middlesbrough.
0: Yeah, Dean wouldn't have been happy about that. Uh, let's hope he uh, didn't make any clangers, I haven't seen the highlights of that, but um Yes. Uh, look, you know, professional football, you get, you win some, you, you lose some. Uh, knowing Dean and Steph um, like Bill do, uh, I would have expected Dean would have been able to celebrate with Steph for her title without uh, showing too much uh, sorriness for himself. But yeah, um, ready, not having the greatest uh, season in the Championship, just quietly.
2: With the greatest respect of Dean, he's playing so far above his station by being the championship. I reckon every appearance he makes, he'd be cock-a-hoop, regardless of the score. Uh, Ed, you're still over there in uh, Bangkok. It wasn't a local derby this week, was it, between Port FC and Muang Tong, who I remember playing Melbourne Victory down in Geelong uh, a few years ago in an Asian Champions League final, but there was plenty on the line. Yeah, plenty on the line. I thought, I don't talk too much
0: about uh, when I go to the football over in Thailand, but uh... Last night's match was a cracker. Um, yes, uh, well, you got to sort of paint the picture with them. Um, I've, there's a group of expatriate guys that uh, I get together with from time to time, and we jump on the back of the motorbike taxi and we uh, zoom through the streets of Bangkok to Pat Stadium, uh, where you normally get a bit of street food on the way in, which is anything from a... Um, from some spring rolls or grilled uh, tasty morsels, seafood and pork and uh, and chicken, uh, or like I did, uh, get a bit of a hot dog with cheese inside. So, um, yeah, and then um, it was a massive crowd. Uh, the stadium only holds just over 9,000. It was packed to the rafters. I sent some video through to you. Every single stairwell was occupied. Um, um, the team... Um, the, the team based in Klong which is uh, Port FC, uh, they're looking to qualify for the Asian Champions League. Fourth spot was up for grab. Uh, Mal Tong uh, United uh, just behind them. Uh, Port FC uh, they are very much uh, a flamboyant sort of team in town. Um, uh, a local politician fronts them. Uh, the ownership group they're owned by a big, big insurance company, and uh, they got a way to a lead. Uh, however. Uh, Maltong United with their Brazilians uh, chopped them down in the second half to win 3-2. Very entertaining football and I just thought I would uh, my take out of it, it's a very authentic football experience temporary grandstands, jam packed full of people, street food everywhere, young kids um, active uh, support at uh, either end of the ground uh, flags, uh, everyone well behaved and it's an authentic football experience and I just wish um, we had something similar in Australia.
2: And in terms of on the pitch, how does the Thai league rate in, ser- in terms of foreigner structure? Is it like the J League and the K League where you've got lots of local players playing around an imported striker, centre-back and central midfielder, or is it more sort of even in terms of the uh, the domestic players across the park?
0: Uh, uh, the good teams have five foreigners. They're very important to... They really do lift the standard of the competition. Um, and there is a real hunt on uh, the Thai... Dis- the Thai, the Thai diaspora around the world is significant. There's a lot of uh, dual citizen uh, players that are coming back to Thailand to play. Um, but, you know, the, what's interesting is this, this was a very good game. It was a very fast game. It was end-to-end, um, really good goalkeeping, uh, well-taken goals. It was, um, in my opinion, probably just a little bit up from the A-League. And, and so it should be too. There's more than double um, the amount of money that's spent on players in Thailand than there is in the... A league on an average per club. So uh, there's five foreigners. Each of the foreigners are getting uh, somewhere between sort of 300 and sort of 600,000 US dollars a season. Um, It's littered with Brazilians and Argentinians um, uh, and Spanish players. So yeah, I'd like to see a few more Australians play over here.
2: Derek, your team of the week comes not from a league like Michael's where they are very much developing and uh, and, and building their own history at a, at a rate of knots, but one as sort of steeped in history as, as possible can be in the FA Cup.
1: Yeah, I wanted to flag Grimsby Town FC. Definitely not one of the teams that gets much of a look in in box-to-box, box. Um, but they obviously had an amazing result in the FA Cup fifth round, which took place since the last uh, stoppage time. They were the lowest-ranked team left in um, in the FA Cup and a non-league side as recently as last season, but they uh, beat Southampton away from home to reach the quarterfinals of the World of the World Cup, the FA Cup, for the first time in eighty-four years. Um, they got a couple of penalties um, from their midfielder Gavin Hallahan. Um, and despite the fact that Southampton did get one back, um, the 4,000 traveling fans inside St. Mary's were going berserk at the final whistle. Um, they will now go to Brighton for a quarterfinal and that, that's a, that's a great draw for them. First time in the quarterfinal since the 1938, 39 season. Um, so great, great stuff from them. Um, I usually do a little bit of, facts on these teams as a willing me up for grimsby town facts
2: please absolutely the only things i know heading into your uh your little segment here derek is that sasha baron cohen based a horrific post borat movie in grimsby uh and i believe also the birthplace of james pattinson former australian test quick but you'll have something
1: better than that <laughs> well grimsby is definitely one of those places in the uk synonymous you'd you yeah you'd use it in very negative connotations like if if you were kind of trying to talk about a terrible town in England, Grimsby probably wouldn't be too far, too far from, from your lips. Um, but the, the mighty Mariner is their, um, their, their mascot, um, who, uh, that sort of talks to their to their sort of seaside history. They did have someone called Harry the Haddock. Um, but uh, who was a rainbow trout, but he's been replaced by the mighty Mariner. Um, and, uh, they play. They used to be called Grimsby Pelham Football Club in 1878. That's how far back they go. Uh, but they changed the name, and they went. They now play at Blundell Park, where they have played ever since, since 1898. I'll have you know. And famous former manager is Bill Shankly. So can't get too much better than that.
2: Oh, it is a very famous name indeed. Derek, what happened to Harry the Haddock? Has he been banned? As I do a bit of research on the fly, um, or was he just canned as opposed to banned? Obviously, canned. I would like to see him go toe-to-toe with, with um, Fleetwood Town's shrimp-based mascot.
1: Yeah. I don't know if he got canned literally, canned haddock. Uh, yeah, There's a great tradition of football mascots up and down the UK. My... Good friend Alex, uh, who's a West Brom fan, was sent me a picture of the West Brom uh, mascot from his seat in all his in all his glory uh, recently at the Hawthorns, and their mascot, of, his, of course, is a boiler, uh, which is a real cheap shot where no one can really afford to pay their heating bills in the UK at the moment. So it's just a constant reminder of the sad times that they're in. But I'll have an update on Harry Haddock next week. What well, am I promise?
2: Edge, can you match that with your team of
0: the week? I can indeed. My team of the week, uh, excuse me for um, uh, promoting my uh, my love of Arsenal, but I just have to say that uh, Arsenal is my team of the week uh, this week. Reese Nelson's Thunderbolt in the dying moment, of stoppage time unleashed pandemonium and emotion in the stands and on the field. It was uh, very clear to everybody who was watching how much that win meant. And I just thought I'd ask Derek a question um Just about how significant. Uh, This is one of the youngest uh, first team groups uh, in the Premier League. I think only Southampton is younger. So are we seeing something quite remarkable uh, with the continued uh, performances of this team? Um, Is it a remark... Will we... And and the manager is young as well. Will this go down as one of the um, all-time great young Premier League teams in the context of what they're uh, what they're likely to achieve if they can keep this going,
1: I was reflecting on this over the weekend because, um, I've, as, as I have adorned around my studio uh, in here, I have plenty of memorabilia from previous Arsenal title winning teams. But those teams were extremely mature teams. You know, you had the likes of uh, you know whether it be Adams or. Uh, Keown or Campbell or David Seaman or Patrick Vieira, Bergkamp, Henri, whoever. Right, you know, all guys in their mid, late twenties, early thirties. There were street rise, and they were they were the best. They were the best team uh, in the league, or you know, it was undoubted that they were the best team in the league when they won in ninety eight, two thousand and two, and two thousand and four. Um, I think with this season, most people would say that. You know, on paper, Manchester City are the best team in the league, and Liverpool having a bad season are clearly up there. And this Arsenal team is really defying the odds. So, I don't have that kind of confidence that we are just a really, really good team because it's kids, because we've got also the youngest manager, one of the youngest managers in the league as well. Um, it makes it really interesting. Nothing, nothing is guaranteed, and it is an it is an adventure into the unknown. And yes, on the one hand you could postulate that you know, Arsenal winning 3-2 with a last-minute goal is the stuff of champions. That's that's what makes you a champion side. You'd also argue, well, what the hell were they doing? 2-0 down to one of the worst teams in the league uh, at home and having to snatch it out of the fire. That certainly wouldn't have happened in those other championship seasons that I referred to, that these sort of results wouldn't have happened. It was often the results against Manchester United and that really defined the season. So... It's a roller coaster, Edge. It's amazing what they've managed to achieve, and yeah, I think you've just got to have your glass half you know half full and go. Well, yes, you know they probably shouldn't have been two 0 down at home to Bournemouth, but you know, amazing character and the team spirit is undoubtedly there when that final goal went in. I mean, actually, one question I'll need to try and come back with for, for next week is how many backroom staff do Arsenal have? I mean, there was about twenty people. It's like a pit crew. Like literally, like I don't know who these people are. I know they've got like a throw-ins guy and a set feast guy and a physio, and there's all sorts of other stuff. But the goalkeeping coach, it really is um, a big unit. But they're all they're all flying together, and yeah, you could just tell by the res- the atmosphere that the crowd are with them, the players are together. Uh, it's a really special, really special time.
2: I've got to give my team of the week, but while we're talking Arsenal, Derek, if you wanted to expand that into your moment uh, of the week, which is Reece Nelson's impact, which we touched on in the uh, in the main show, but a couple of lines on him here.
1: Yeah, yeah, just quickly. I mean, look, yeah, I mean, I feel like we've we've, we've covered um, Reese Nelson already, but you know, he's he's a super young player, uh, as we said on the main show. You know, doesn't get a lot of first team football, and it's just amazing that when called upon and. Mikel Arteta obviously has this knack with um, young players. Um, just to say, you know, go and go and get me the result, and 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 they go, go and he went and did it. And you know, nerveless strike on his wrong foot into the top corner through a crowd of players. It was a it was it was superb, and it's these little things that could could be written into folklore when you look back at the end of the season and go, well, what was the turning point? Was it that Jorginho strike that hit the bar and hit Martinez on the head and gave Arsenal the the win at Villa? Was it was it the uh, the last-minute goal for, for Reece Nelson? I think we also won in the last minute against Manchester United as well. So we're making a habit of these last-minute goals, I think, and, uh, yeah, fair play to the young man. It's a terrific day for him. My team
2: of the week comes out of the A-League, and it is Adelaide United. Uh, we won't muck around here. The league as a whole is is struggling, certainly in terms of whipping up crowd excitement and enthusiasm and people through the through the gates. But there does remain, I think, an air of excitement and positivity around the Reds and, and Hindmarsh. 10K in for this one to watch them knock off league leaders 4-2. Uh, Craig Goodwin, probably the best player in the competition this season, a lovely goal, bring it down on the chest and then into the net. And Nestori Irankunda, Michael, is a name we haven't said on the program as yet, but he's very quickly and, very sort of sure-handedly taken the mantle from Garang qual as our most exciting young player a scorcher last week against victory uh, to earn a point and then a very classy finish this week uh, to seal the points he's just turned 17 within the last month so he's going to be around for a little bit while a little while longer yet uh, Adelaide. Just sort of mid-year last year, sold Mo Toure and Yaya Duguli over to France. Uh, he will be another that goes eventually. And things looking positive for the Reds. Carl Viet and Warren Moon are had as the two coaches coming in this season who'd uh, come in for the sort of the end of the first COVID-interrupted season. They were two domestic managers, took up uh, the sole clubs in their state uh, and they were sort of on an even trajectory. I thought they were both sort of a bit touch and go as to where they would go from there. Uh, Moon is no longer at Brisbane, but Viet has Adelaide fit and firing in the top three. He certainly does, Willem. In um, this story, Irukunda, we had him as
0: my um, moment of the week uh, while you were away um, when he scored uh, an unbelievable winner for Adelaide United. i tell you what, I'm very excited about the A-League prospect of uh, Adelaide Rowley in Melbourne City who were, were runaway um Premiers Plate winners, uh, no doubt about it. Um, they'll, they'll have to put their uh, game in reverse not to win the Premiers Plate. But Adelaide's a real chance to um, to throw down the gauntlet to them for the championship. And Irukunda's a, a big part of that. He comes off the bench and he's extremely exciting. And uh, and uh, for those uh, people that were watching the um, the Joeys, the Junior Soccer um when we played in Shepparton, uh, Irukunda, I think we beat. Uh, marshall islands 31 nil or something like that and he scored about 15 goals and then uh in the game against china which was uh everything was on the line Irin kunda got the job done for the uh for the joey so he's he's uh well and truly been marked as someone who's going to be very special and uh we've only just said just to see him explode onto the scene has been amazing yeah so well done to iran kunda and that's a good Uh, shout your team of the week. My uh, moment of the week is Rachel Lowe's double for Sydney FC um, in the women's competition. Rachel Lowe, who's not figured in many games, but she's uh, an extremely good player. She's been capped and we got a a, a real sight as to what we've missed out on with Rachel not starting for Sydney FC this year because she's an extremely talented player and I thought she was a standout in that game. And uh, that's just a reminder uh, that she's in the wings and uh, let's hope that Rachel can find a home that gives her more, more football in uh, the next edition of the A-League Women's because we're missing out not seeing her on the park and uh, we saw that on the weekend, with
2: My moment of the week stays in the A-League women's competition. It's not a particularly positive one. Canberra United have been docked three points that they earned in a 2-1 win over Sydney uh, back on Feb 11 for breaching their limit of substitution windows. It was the 93rd minute that Grace Taranto came on for Michelle Heyman. That was their fourth sub, uh, with none of the previous three having been used for a concussion sub. Uh, So... That was the second of what has since been four consecutive wins by Canberra of late, Michael. They're coming like a train, uh, but they're now back to fifth ahead of this weekend's meeting with Western Sydney. So lucky that we're going beyond 14 rounds this year because that would have had much bigger implications.
0: Oh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a cock-up, isn't it? Yeah, they've obviously broken the rules and they've got to uh, pay the consequence, so... Whoever's the team manager at uh, Canberra United would have got a foot up the backside for allowing that to happen, but yeah, disappointing for them because they have got some momentum. They're going really well. I must admit, I didn't expect them to figure at all this season. So, uh, Gosh, who's the uh, first-time coach there, uh, been involved in women's uh, football del- development a long time. Um, yeah, they're going very, very well. So, good luck to them. But they'll hurt. That hurts. That losing those three
2: points really, really hurts. Yeah, some conjecture as to whether that's the fourth officials issue and not uh that of the, the sort of team officials on the uh on the sidelines at the time, but someone online did point out that Taranto came on and lost the ball twice, so particularly stiff. Uh Derek, your hot topic, please. Sixty minute matches you've written here. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, and look, maybe something we'll have to delve into in a little more detail. And it it is quite apt given, you know, Arsenal's ninety seventh minute winner um Edge obviously fresh off guitar and some of the longest games in the history of the history of world football happening there Um, there is definitely a lot of attention now being looked at whether we should scrap the 90 um, minute matches altogether with stoppage time because there's concern that the stoppage time just isn't covering the time that's lost during a matches you know the playing time in the world cup in russia in 2018 was somewhere between 52 and 58 minutes, and you know, fans and feel shortchanged. Broadcasters um, feel feel shortchanged. Um, so, a number of high-profile figures, including Marco Van Basten, Mark Lattenberg, former referee, Arsenal chief, uh, ex-chief David Dean, are suggesting 60-minute matches with a clock, and that this will actually not give us less, but will actually give us more. Um, but I wonder. Edge, do we want the ninety seventh minute winners because that's what football is all about, or do we want to have a more basketball type scenario where we know exactly when the game is going to finish? Uh, but that might take some of the romance out of the game.
0: We want the ninety seven minute winners, no doubt about it. Um, but what we want is maybe some transparency around stoppage time. Um, this is this will be a highly controversial thing for me to say because I'm actually here we go. Uh, potentially, we should take something out of the AFL's book. Um, They manage time in the AFL very well uh, with the umpires, uh, signalling time on and time off for an external timekeeper. I think that is something that uh, FIFA could look at because fans get frustrated. I mean, we're all waiting. We're all waiting uh, to see what uh, stoppage time there will be in in a big game. And how many times have you been standing with your friends or your colleagues and you say, oh, there's three minutes of stoppage time. What do you mean there's three minutes of stoppage time? There should be there should be eight, you know, because all the, all the rolling around and so forth. So maybe um, there'd be less shenanigans if there was a more transparent approach by the referees because you're always wondering, has the referee stopped his watch when he's getting harassed around uh, uh, a natural stoppage in the game, for example. So anyway, that's just my two books worth.
2: Michael, a, a quick word on the boiler, our, our form of the boiler, Martin. Yeah, my
0: hot topic is Martin Boyle, who um, spoke to a Scottish newspaper just about the extent of his knee injury. Um, at soccerers Camp, uh, in the lead up to the World Cup, they thought it was a meniscus tear that was giving him problem. And he goes into great detail about uh, the type of uh, treatment they were giving him. Um, he had some injections into his knee, cortisone, uh, blood out of his arm that went into his knee to try and um, uh, get some uh, healing tendencies. Um, but... He even went to the extent of having a local anaesthetic when his last fitness test, and he couldn't pass the ball more than fifteen minutes because his knee was popping. And uh, they all thought that he would just have a meniscus tidy up, and he would be back in uh, five or six weeks for his club. Uh, except when they went in, uh, it was a two and a half hour surgery, and uh, the boiler had actually ruptured all his ligaments in his knee. Didn't know about it, and uh, and he's obviously now out for much, much longer than what we anticipated. So, yeah, I don't know if there's any missing diagnosis there. We don't know what the situation is, but um, Martin Boyle, uh, his knee is a big hot topic and uh, let's hope there's no long-term damage associated with any of that treatment and surgery and the boiler's backscoring goals for... Hibbs and the Socceroos.
2: That is of great concern. He's missed the 2019 Asian Cup. He's missed the 2022 World Cup. We'd love to have him out there for the 2024 Asian Cup, but uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Not, not great at all. I'll tell you what, boys, we are hard up against it with our form of stoppage time here as well. The referee is indicating not much more than a minute to go. I'll cram in my hot topic. It is the overhaul of the Asian Champions League. Always busy, rarely logical, rarely transparent, the AFC. Uh, they're going to change the Champions league structure from 2024-25, barely, I think two seasons after changing it, uh, as I said, Bailey, two cents after changing it, we're going to go from 40 down to 24 in the top tier, with teams to play guaranteed eight matches as opposed to six. Uh, These would be 12-team leagues in each of the East and West, and then the two uh, sides of the Confederation would come together for centralised single-leg eliminators in neutral venues. Below that, there'd be a secondary 32-team comp running much the same as the old Champions League format used to operate uh, with East and West right through until the final. And then there'd be a new 20-team comp sitting below that, although that is not confirmed pull a quote from paul williams obviously an authority on the asian game of the asian game podcast good friend of the show uh, he said across home and away you get to experience the home environments and different cultures and you would have pack stands across the continent but now we're going to have some fantastic teams and players playing in front of largely empty stadiums so uh, michael just a, a very quick word on that one doesn't seem to be ideal it seems exactly that that we're going to take the Uh, the history and the culture and the heaving stands of your two sides of the Asian Confederation and sanitise them into probably a Saudi Arabian or a a Qatari stadium.
0: Yeah, that's not good, Um, but that just shows you how much money that's been flown around the AFC in relation to hosting rights and um, that'll be why they're doing it. Um, But I, I actually think that the league format change is good. It's just the neutral venues for knockouts, not good.
2: Brings us to the end of Stoppage Time. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Michael. Rob will be back next week to lead the charge, I'm sure. But in the meantime, please subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and our main show, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at Box2BoxNTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.